0: Our world is facing the challenges of the coronavirus and the current financial crisis. We're all—it's called social distancing. Will you keep uh, three to four? But how we respond to those things is so important because people around us who don't know Jesus are grasping for something. They're looking for hope and confidence in something. I want to encourage you to find specific moments in each and every day to be still and know that God is God to turn off your TV and to turn off your phone. We right now as a church are seeing incredible opportunities for the gospel, even though we've been doing ministry differently and we didn't close. You have a Father in heaven who loves you more than you could possibly know. A lot of tension in our culture, a lot of disagreement. It's important for us to understand what Jesus meant and why he said we didn't have to worry. We are willing to flex our methods as long as we can still get our message out we're going to keep obeying God and comply as long as we can and when our obedience to God finds us in non-compliance we'll be in defiance psalm 23 right yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death yet thou art with me that's that's a life well lived. i'm very thankful of course for my salvation i thank you for jesus who died for me and gave me hope and when we rest our hope in god's love gift of jesus christ we put our hope in god's unfailing love gone up to over 2.8 million dollars received for our christmas offering this year some of those good causes and movements are calling on the church to have a different mission When I think the church of Jesus Christ needs to be crystal clear about the message of the gospel and crystal clear about what it is that we do as the followers of Jesus Christ, we make disciples who live and love like Jesus for the honor and glory of God. What a great review. What a great review of a challenging year. and Things begin to uh, feel a little more normal all the time and as more folks get vaccines and some of the orders are lifted this week. I know things will begin to change more and more. It gives us a great opportunity to welcome others onto our campus. You can invite guests to be with you. And if you're not comfortable or they're not comfortable or able to join us on campus, our online services are going to continue to be, I think, just a wonderful way for people to connect with us and so even as Easter approaches the first weekend of April, can I encourage you to invite some friends and coworkers, family members, neighbors to join you either in person or online for an Easter service? Begin to pray about that. think about who you might invite. Um, things are beginning to feel a little more normal. I just had the opportunity to speak to the Caneo Valley, the Chinese Christian Church of the Caneo Valley, uh, who meets on our campus, and uh, they just started meeting on our campus again last weekend. And uh, with our baby dedications and all, I wasn't able to greet them. But today, just a few minutes ago, I was in their service at the beginning and got to greet them and told them that their presence even makes us feel more complete as we continue to move forward to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And again, Easter's coming and a great opportunity for us to share with others the availability of our services in person or online. I want to mention one other thing to you, and that is that... uh, Various social media platforms that I'm on, uh, there are often folks who pretend to be me and create fake accounts. Specifically, Instagram has been a problem for several months now. There are sometimes two to three. We've had up to five accounts, false accounts that we've discovered and reported to Instagram a day. And uh, so if you get a request for me to follow you, I don't do that. Uh, I don't request any funds through direct messaging and they take pictures and they do things like just misspell my name by one letter or they add an N to the end of uh, Sean and Pastor Sean, which is my uh, username is Pastor Sean on Instagram. And so please know that there are people that are with bad motives trying to do Uh, Trying to connect with you, and it's not me. (laughs) You can follow me, uh, and again, Instagram is Pastor Sean, it's that simple. Uh, But be aware of that, and I'm sorry that's happened to a number of you, and we report it every time. Now, we live in a world where there still are challenges we face, even as we emerge from the COVID pandemic and things seem to be uh, being restored more and more. We do live in a world full of challenges. Uh, we live in a nation where we have a very robust econ- economy. For 150 years, the United States has had the strongest economy in the world since 1871. Even through the Depression and through ups and downs, our economy is the strongest. Before COVID, annually, our economy here in the United States generated $21.4 trillion. The next largest economy is China, and it came in at $14.1 trillion. And a distant third is Japan at $15.1 trillion. You can just see how uh, blessed our nation is. And yet, um, it is a a big disparity between those who have and those who don't have. The top 10% of the United States control two-thirds of all the assets. The top 1% controls one-third of all the assets in our nation. And yet we still have challenges here. There are 11 million children in poverty in the United States. Out of 75 million kids, there are 11 million children in poverty. Uh, One in six children don't know where their next meal is going to come from in the U.S. Uh, We are a nation that has challenges. Then you step back and look at the whole world and the blessing of wealth and And again, there's disparity there. The top 1% controls 45% of all the assets in our world. The 22 wealthiest men have more wealth than all the women on the continent of Africa. There's 683 million women in Africa, and the 22 richest men in the world have more wealth than those women. 10% of the world's population lives on less than $1.90 a day. That's significant, because the United Nations and World Relief Organizations identify $1.90 or less, if you have, you, you have $1.90 or less to live on each day, you live in extreme poverty. And so about 780 million people today on our planet are living in extreme poverty on less than $1.90 a day. And this last year of the COVID crisis due to the pandemic, the number of people who will fall into extreme poverty has grown for the first time in over 20 years. There have been decades of extreme poverty, the number of people in extreme poverty around the world going down, and now it is exponentially climbing because of the lockdowns, the economic difficulties, uh, the challenges that COVID brought our world. 150 to 250 million more people will fall into extreme poverty by the end of 2021. That means there will be nearly one billion people, right around one billion people, who will live on less than $1.90 a day. These are some startling statistics about the, the needs of our world and the resources that our world has. There's also a giant spiritual need in our world today. There are still many who've never heard the name of Jesus and they don't know that he loves them and came and died for them. Two billion people have never heard the name of Jesus in our world. 2 billion out of the 7.8 billion people in the world have never heard the name of Jesus. 90% of the unreached, the people who have never heard the name of Jesus, live in places resistant to the gospel, places where either it's a dictatorship, a form of government, or a a dominant world religion that, that doesn't allow or drives out the witness of Christ. There are over 500 people groups worldwide that have no Christian presence and no one attempting to teach them. 500 people groups. Generally, that's because the Scriptures have not yet been translated into their dialect or their language. Now, if you just narrow down a little further, just take a nation like India that we've had some uh, great opportunities over the last several years to make an impact, to make a difference there. There are over 500,000 villages in India that have no Christian witness. Get this statistic. There are 550 million people in India who have never heard the name of Jesus. Again, it's because of language and dialects and there's so many different people groups within India. Now, you just sort of step back from that and you say, okay, why did you share all that with us, Sean? To just show you that our world has great assets and great wealth, our country, and yet there are people who live in physical need, and they're dealing with the temporary suffering of this world right now. And then there are people who don't know Jesus, and they face eternal suffering separated from God in a place called hell, and they need to hear about Jesus. The needs of our world are great. And God blesses his people, the followers of Jesus Christ, to make a difference in terms of the temporary suffering and the potential eternal suffering of folks through the things he gives us as resources. If you turn your Bibles to James chapter five, we're gonna continue our study of this wonderful New Testament book. James writes and as he writes, and we saw in the last part of chapter four, he talks about the danger and the trouble we can have if we have a critical attitude or a controlling spirit And now, as we get to James chapter 5 and verse 1, James writing in the first century to Christians spread around the Roman Empire, he challenges them and he gives them a very sobering message in these six verses. A very sobering message. So, today's message from this passage will be sobering for all of us. It serves as a warning. Look at James chapter 5 and verse 1 from the New International Version. Now, listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Boy, this sounds like a great passage for us together this morning, doesn't it? Some of you are already saying, oh, it's the rich people. And surveys show that most people say they're not rich, but say their neighbors are rich. Being wealthy or influential uh, can be somewhat subjective, but in terms of the majority of the world, most Americans are wealthy. In terms of the, the, the uh Most of our nation, the people in our nation, uh, people in our region have wealth. And I'm not saying everyone who's hearing my voice online or hearing my voice in this room is necessarily wealthy or influential. But many of us are. Most of us are in terms of a comparative standard in our world. And James is saying, listen, rich people, pay attention now I thought, this is pretty strong from James. Maybe maybe the New International Version is just a tough translation of this from the New Testament Greek. So then I looked at the New Living Translation. This is what the New Living Translation says in James 5.1. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Well, that didn't get much better. Still a strong warning. So I thought, what about the English Standard Version, another modern uh, English version of the New Testament Greek? And and the ESV says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. James is trying to tell us something about wealth and influence. He's trying to tell us something. Let's look at these first six verses of James 5 as we're gonna study them together this morning. Come now, you rich, weep, now excuse me I'm sorry now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you now this weep and wail the weep there is burst out in tears there's a visible reality that you are grieving that you're in trouble that you're in pain and anguish and then it says wail and and that word is the idea of of a loud groaning James comes from the Jewish tradition in the Old Testament, taught the people of God to lament and grieve death and brokenness. And he's using language here that goes back to that kind of grieving. And we're to grieve, he says, over our wealth, the misery that's coming our way. So he's saying there's some danger with wealth and influence. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The last days are any, it's this whole period of time we're in from the time Jesus came the first time, went to be with the Father, and now he's going to return. The time between his first coming and his second coming are the last days in the broadest sense. And he's saying in these days, and we don't know when Jesus is gonna come, it could be today. And he's warning us about hoarding up wealth and influence when at any time the end could come, judgment could come, And Jesus establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Then in verse four, we read, look, the wages you fail to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. And then verse six, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. He's saying you've you've leveraged your influence to harm others, to to do damage. You've, You've lost sight of the things God has blessed you with. Now, the scriptures don't teach it's wrong to be wealthy and to have wonderful things in life and enjoy the blessings of God. As a matter of fact, some of the strongest and greatest people of faith in both the Old Testament and New Testament had great wealth. Abraham and David and Job In the New Testament, you have Lydia and you have Joseph of Arimathea who gave his tomb for the body of Jesus to be placed in after his death on the cross. If God has blessed you, he wants you to enjoy those blessings. But along with wealth and influence, there are some great dangers ahead that he's warning us about. We've got to pay attention because misery can come if we don't understand the dangers of wealth. Today I want us to understand this from this passage, while wealth and influence have inherent dangers, God intends for us to use them for the good of others and his glory. He intends for us to take the resources he gives us, the time, the talents, and yes, the treasure, the finances, and James is focused on finances here as he speaks to us. And they are to be leveraged for the good of others, to help them with their temporary suffering in this world and the aches and pains of those who who live in extreme poverty, those who are hurting and struggling. And then we're to also leverage those resources to help people know how they can have eternal relief from the condemnation that's coming through faith in Jesus Christ. I want us to look at three dangers that come up in this passage as James warns us with this sobering, Text of Scripture. Danger number one is hoarding God's blessings, hoarding God's blessings. Every good and perfect gift, James said early in the book, comes from the Father above. It is God who gives us the health, God who gives us the education, God who gives us the mind, the, the body, it's God who gives us the opportunity to make money. He is the one who blesses us. And again there's nothing wrong with wealth and luxury and 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 success having influence but there is an inherent danger that we can hold on to this stuff when God indeed blesses us partially not only for our enjoyment but also for us to be a blessing to others so when we hoard God's blessing a couple of things we need to know about our stuff our portfolios the things we own the th- of this world that are ours. Your stuff will eventually disappoint you. He says in verse 2 and verse 3 your, your wealth is rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded, stock markets crash, housing bubbles burst, things fall apart, things need repaired and replaced. Eventually, your stuff will disappoint you. Secondly, your stuff will ultimately condemn you. He says in verse three, their corrosion will testify against you. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. In this period of time, when Jesus can return at any moment, you act as if this is all that your existence is about. There's a day coming, as we talked about last week, when all of us will give an account before God. And, And James says here, Their corrosion will testify against you. The stuff you were given that you let just lie there, be unused, you didn't leverage for the good of others and the glory of God, that stuff on judgment day is gonna be evidence A about how you misused the resources God gave you, that you weren't generous You weren't leveraging those things for the good of others and God's glory. Your stuff will ultimately condemn you. Thirdly, as you hoard God's blessings, one of the basic dangers of wealth and influence, your stuff will quickly destroy you. Your stuff will quickly destroy you. He says in the last part of verse 3, "...their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire." You know, the more cars you have, the more homes you have, the more stuff you have, the more investments you have, the more time it takes in the stuff that you think is yours. All of a sudden, at some point, you realize you are your stuff's thing, right? Because you got to shine it. You got to clean it. You got to repair it. You got to keep it up. And so the more things we have and the more things we hold, the more our stuff becomes our slave master. It'll ruin your health. It'll ruin your your mental health. It will quickly eat at you like fire. Your stuff will quickly destroy you if you fall into the danger of hoarding and holding on to things and not see yourself as this conduit of blessing from God to others. Your stuff will eventually disappoint you. It'll condemn you. It'll destroy you. If you just hold on to God's blessings tightly and clutch them tightly, you don't have an open hand of generosity. I like how Will Rogers put it. Too many people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths And vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Not just should we be investing in the now, which is a part of the last days, knowing that judgment is coming. We need to be investing in the things that will last. So when it comes to danger, number one, hoarding God's blessings. What should our response be? How do we push back on that danger as God blesses us with wealth and influence? Number one, the, the response here, number one, is this. While enjoying your blessings, you can enjoy the stuff God has given you, intentionally leverage your resources for Christ's kingdom. While enjoying the blessings. It's not wrong to have cars or homes or stuff or a portfolio but you need to intentionally, not just ease your conscience with writing a check to the church or to a mission or to a cause, but be serious before God and say, am I giving what you gave me to give? Am I giving what you gave me to give? For some of us, it might even be clean out our closets and give some of the clothes to Angel Threads Ministry here or to the Ventura County Rescue Mission. It might mean you change your patterns. Maybe when you're just to break out of the mold of thinking about yourself and holding on to things, maybe each time you go to the grocery store between now and Easter, pick up a couple of extra uh, non-perishable items and drop them off for our food pantry here. Maybe there's something the Holy Spirit will show you today or in the next week as as he works in your heart through this passage that you need to sell and and use those resources to invest in Christ's kingdom. I don't know what it'll be for you. God will work in your life differently than mine, but I do know this. I like how Randy Alcorn says it. God expects us to be a river of his blessings, not a reservoir of them. You're either a river of his blessings or you're a reservoir, and a reservoir grows stagnant over time. That's not what God wants for you. That's not where joy is in the blessings of God. Leslie and I bought our first home, uh, when I was in the first church I served in as an assistant pastor at a seminary, Limerick Chapel in Limerick, Pennsylvania, near Valley Forge. We bought our first home. We bought it from a, a man who'd been a missionary to China, and then he had been a pastor in the United States uh, for years. And they lived in this home. They were now in their middle 80s, Harry and Velma, and they uh, they wanted to sell this home to us, and we wanted to buy it. And they were going to hold the mortgage for us, and so we were negotiating. And, and um, this home was a beautiful home—a square acre of land. They planted a bunch of roses and fruit trees. It was a great piece of property, and they were willing to help us uh, get into it. They were having to leave their home and go to assisted living because of their own health needs. It had become way too much for them. This home had a two-car garage, then it had a mechanic's garage, then it had this large carport-like garage, then it had two sheds and a garden shed, and they were full to the gills with stuff. They had been raised and come of age in the Depression era. And so they had kept, he kept every brake pad he ever took off a car. He had every spark plug from every car he'd ever had in the garage. They had shoes, all kinds of shoes that they and other family members had worn. And they'd put them in these, these uh, old grocery brown bag, grocery bags in one of the sheds. Thousands of shoes. Shoes so we made our offer on what we would pay for the house. And they were promising to hold the mortgage. And their response was, no, we we want this amount. And we were disappointed because we couldn't go that far. And so we thought this was slipping away. And then one of their grown adult children called and said, hey, mom and dad will take your offer on one condition. I said, well, what is that? You keep all the stuff that's in the house. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to keep it, but it stays in the house. We're not cleaning out the house. You take it as is. I thought, how, how bad can that be? Okay, we'll do it, and we did. And I found those shoes, and some of them weren't that bad. Some of them could have been given to somebody, but he was he was clutched by fear and insecurity. And sometimes we get in fear and insecurity. It's not wrong to plan for a retirement. It's not wrong to plan savings. There's also there are biblical principles about that. The biblical principles about planning for an inheritance for your children and your children's children. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things but sometimes we we get into this hoarding mode not just of stuff but of our finances and god wants it to be a channel of blessing to others and some of these shoes were in such great condition originally they could have been used it took me 17 big trash cans just to get the shoes out of the garden shed one day harry stopped by and he said how you doing and he wanted to look around he looked at the shit where'd all the shoes go well, I threw them away. Oh, some of them weren't that bad. You, they could have been worn. And I said, but you held on to them so long. There were rats in there. They'd been chewed up. They were rotting. Spiritually, that's kind of what we do when we see ourselves as reservoirs of God's blessing rather than rivers of his blessing. There's a danger in hoarding God's blessings. Ask yourself, before the Lord, not, not between me and you or you and anybody else, but you, you and your spouse, just say to God, Are we giving what you gave us to give? See what God tells you. Somebody say, I don't know if I wanna pray that prayer. I dare you to pray that prayer. Somebody say, I'm, I'm not taking that here. Then I double dare you, I double dog dare you to take that prayer and just talk to God. See what God does with your heart. Danger number one is hoarding God's blessings. The second danger is hurting innocent people hurting innocent people. Verse 6 talks about how you have condemned and murdered the innocent one. He wasn't even opposing you. Most scholars believe that verse 6 is talking about how those with wealth had influence and they leveraged like the court systems to even get the person they've wronged to be condemned or judged in the wrong, and for some, maybe even it caused them to directly lose their lives or indirectly through the mistreatment to lose their lives. But it speaks of the innocent one that is affected when we allow ourselves to be swept up in the danger of wealth and influence. We can hurt innocent people. How does that happen? Well, number one, you become oblivious to their needs in life you become oblivious to their needs in life because your life and your lifestyle is at a whole different level. Verse four says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. There's an injustice here. There's a cry coming out. Those who mowed the fields were were the lowest paid in the agricultural culture of the first century. And so for the wealthy landowner that, that has wealth and influence, These seem like pennies. How can that help that guy? If I pay him today, tomorrow, next week, it doesn't really matter. It's just just pennies. But for that day labor, you see, in the ancient world and in the majority of the world, even today, people work the day, they get paid at the end of the day, and they buy their food on their way home. And so there is this great injustice and what happens is in, with wealth and influence, you can lose touch with something you might have experienced in your own childhood, in your own life, even before your wealth, where, where you know, it's, it's hard to make ends meet. It's paycheck to paycheck. James, of course, has a Jewish background. He's writing to a number of folks with a Jewish background. that accepted Jesus as Messiah. So they would have been familiar with the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy twenty-four, fifteen says, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. We, we, we need to be wise stewards and be frugal, and when we're doing business deals and people are working for us, or they work in our business, or they work on our team, or they work around our house and do work for us, we need to, of course, there's a certain level of respect and that they've got to do a good job, but Christians ought to be the people who are known to go further and care for workers and people around them more than anybody else. Wealth can cause you to become oblivious to the needs of other people. They're counting on that tip you give. They're counting on your paying them. Secondly, hurting innocent people can happen because you can become indifferent to their cries for justice. They say, hey, I need to be paid. Hey, hey this bill is important. And you think, oh, it's just such a small thing. But it means something to someone. Verse 4, wages are crying out against you. Verse six, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not even opposing you. And they're crying out for justice and the cry even goes to God himself. Proverbs three twenty-seven and 28 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Proverbs sixteen eight: I love this proverb. Better to have little with godliness than to be rich through injustice mistreating, frauding someone else. You can become indifferent to their cries of justice. Thirdly, you can become callous to the heart of God. You look at the life of Jesus. He cared for those who had nothing. He hung out with the poorest of the poor. He loved them. He added value in his presence. He made sure they were cared for, their needs were met. That's the heart of God. And sometimes with wealth... And with influence, we can get into this posture of entitlement where we now feel we've got a certain level of position and we hurt innocent people. We don't even realize we're doing it because it's an inherent danger of wealth and influence. The last part of verse 4 says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. I love this word, the Lord Almighty. It's really an Old Testament word that's used in a unique form here in the New Testament. It's the Lord Almighty. It literally means the Lord or uh, the the God of angel armies. The point here is James is making is uh, the God of angel armies hears the cry of those you've mistreated and that God and all the angel armies are on the side of the person you've mistreated. You don't want to be on the opposite side of that. Because God cares. We ought to care. So in this danger of hurting innocent people, what should our response be? Well, response number two should be this. While being, good steward, being a good steward, yeah, frugal, good steward, intentionally leverage your resources to add value to others. Given such a way that people are helped in their temporary suffering of this life. Given such a way that people can hear and see and experience the good news of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself how you treat the people who work for you in your business or your company or your practice. Ask yourself how you treat the people on your team if you don't own the business. Ask yourself how you treat the people who maybe clean your house or take care of your pool or mow your lawn. Do you just treat them as as just hired hands that could be gone tomorrow if you found something better? Do you recognize those are human beings that are crossing your path and God has blessed you to be a channel of blessing and add value to their life? We should not be the stingy tippers in the world, but we gotta be good stewards. The heart of a generous, caring God ought to be seen in those who seek to live and love like Jesus. While being a good steward, intentionally leverage your resources to add value to others. Thirdly, the third danger is harming your testimony. There's a danger in hoarding God's blessings, there's a danger in hurting innocent people, and then there's a danger in harming your testimony, your witness for Christ. How's that gonna happen? Well, first of all, if your life is all about luxury and never about sacrifice, you could harm your testimony. We read in verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury. That word luxury means ease. It's a word that has the idea of floating down a river and there's no obstacle in the way. You're just floating on your back and nothing gets in your way because you have the money and the resources to upgrade your flight, to get the best medical this, you got the best this and the best that. You have luxury. Again, there's nothing wrong with luxury and blessing and enjoying the blessing of God unless we begin to hoard it, we begin to hurt innocent people, and we ruin and harm our testimony for Jesus Christ. These are the dangers of wealth. And some of us have gotten to the point that we've gotten so comfortable, we never feel uncomfortable financially. We never make any sacrifice for others. but in reality, Jesus made the greatest sacrifice for us, right? Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus left the throne room of heaven, walked on earth and went to the cross. He died on the cross, was buried and was raised for you and for me. He left all of glory and sacrificed himself for you so that you might be rich eternally. You might have forgiveness with God, be a part of his family, have an eternal home in heaven. He did that sacrifice he became poor for you so that you could be rich in God forever. And we're not talking about the prosperity gospel here that you're going to be healthy and wealthy and you never have any problems. That's not what Jesus promises us, but he promises us that we're God's child when we put our faith in him. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you haven't come to that place, we have rested in his sacrifice for you to give you a relationship with the God who made you. Do that today. Maybe you've come to that point recently or maybe right now you're just in your own mind said, okay, God, I get it. I, I, I see the sacrifice of Jesus and I'm putting my faith in Christ. We wanna celebrate that with you. We'll have a care team member down front after the service you can talk to. Maybe you have questions. I'll answer your questions. You can also just text the name Jesus, just the name, the one word name, Jesus, to the number on the screen. And... Um, Especially helps for those of you online who can't come down and see that person. You can text the name Jesus. We'll we'll follow up and encourage you in your walk with Christ to know what it means to be rich in Christ as you walk with him. Then child of God, we're called not to a life of ease. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow me. It's not a life of ease. It's a life of faith. When's the last time you gave that you felt it? You say, well, I've got so much. I... When's the last time you gave where you felt it, but it impacted many lives? We'll harm our testimony when it's all about luxury and never about sacrifice. we we'll harm our testimony when it's all about ourselves and not about others, when it's all about me and not about other people. It says in verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, just about you. What makes you happy? What makes you comfortable? And when you hear about the hurting needs of people in our world and in our country, both the physical and spiritual needs of people today, and they need the hope of Christ, you just sort of step back and say, they got to make it on their own, and it's all about you and your comfort, and you don't consider the needs of others. It's so dangerous to be at that place. But wealth and influence can get us there. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Thirdly, we harm our testimony when it's all about today and never about eternity. That's why he says you hoard up things in the last days. In verse 5 he says, you fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter, See, they'd have a cow or a sheep, uh, some livestock. They're all out in the fields, and and they know there's a family uh, big meal, banquet feast coming, maybe it's a holiday. And so they take one of those animals that's gonna be the main course in the meal. They take one of those animals, they put it in another pen where the grass is really green. They give them the best of grain. And man, this animal just eats it up. Thank you for giving me my own pen with the green grass and all the grain. And the animal has no idea the day of slaughter, the day of judgment is coming. And he says we're caught up in our own self-indulgence and our own luxury, and it's all about us and not about others, and it's all about today and not about eternity. We're like that fattened calf, and we're just eating everything up, but we don't understand. We're going to give an account how we use the blessings God has given us to bless others. Paul would say it in 1 Corinthians 3 that we're going to face judgment before God one day and it's going to be like a consuming fire and everything we've done in our lives are going to be put in that fire and the stuff that was, that was all about self and all about this world and, and was all about our luxury, it's going to be burned up like wood, hay and stubble in that refining judgment fire. But the stuff we did that impacted a life, that impacted a life for even eternity, the stuff we did in Jesus' name, that's gonna last beyond that refining fire. And those things come out of that judgment as gold and silver and precious jewels, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. How about you? What are you investing in the now of these last days? Are you like the fattened calf you understand you're gonna give an account for what God has given you? Is it all about today and never about eternity? We need to give in such a way that we give in sacrifice. We need to give in such a way it's about others. We need to give in such a way it's about eternity and not just today. So what's our response to the danger of harming our own testimony? Response number three, while living on earth, intentionally leverage your resources to last beyond judgment day. Make sure you're investing in things that'll last beyond the day you stand before Jesus. When was the last time you gave and felt it? It it was a sacrifice. When was the last time you gave and no one knew because it wasn't about you, it was about others? When was the last time you gave so that it relieved the temporary suffering and the eternal suffering of, of others in Jesus' name? Paul was very direct to a young pastor in telling him how to handle the wealthy people in his church. Listen to the instructions from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was the young pastor at the church of Ephesus. He says this, "'Teach those who are rich in this world "'not to be proud and not to trust in their money, "'which is so unreliable. "'Their trust should be in God, "'who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. "'Tell them to use their money to do good. "'They should be rich in good works "'and generous to those in need, "'always being ready to share with others.'" By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life in the eternal life. Enjoy all of heaven. When we take all of whatever rewards we receive, the gems and the crowns, and we throw them at Jesus' feet because it's all about him. Notice the strong language. Why? Is it because God is greedy? No, God is gracious. He blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. The problem is there are dangers with wealth and influence. We We can hoard the blessings of God and we become a reservoir versus a river. We can hurt innocent people, mistreat the people that work with us regularly. And we can hurt our own testimony for Jesus Christ because it's all about our luxury and it's not about other people's needs. We need to intentionally leverage our resources to last beyond Judgment Day. March of 1947, the police got an anonymous call from a man who said there was a stench coming from a brownstone on Fifth Avenue. So the police went there and they tried to get in and they couldn't get in the first floor so they had to break out a, a second floor window because there was so much junk in this house. Now neighbors knew that two brothers in their 60s lived in that house their mother and father lived in that house, and they'd never been married, these two brothers. One was a lawyer, one was an engineer, well-educated, very wealthy people. But in the, about a decade and a half earlier, the one brother, Homer Collier, had gone blind. And at that time then, the two brothers kind of became hermits in their home, and they kept amassing more stuff in this house. And people didn't see them, but people knew they had wealth. There were rumors that they had stocks and jewelry and cash in the house, and the Colliers knew this. And so with all this stuff, tens of thousands of newspapers and and up to a dozen pianos and x-ray machine and all kinds of stuff from floor to ceiling, they had all this stuff and they had made all these little like nests where they lived in this house and As Homer's health uh, failed, Langley took care of him and would use little tunnels to go get him food and bring it back through the house. And Langley, who was an engineer, had set up various booby traps in the house so if intruders came, stuff would collapse on them and kill them. So after five hours of trying to dig through the stuff, they follow the stench to one of these little nests and they find Homer Langley dead. He'd been dead over a week. But they can't find his brother. A nationwide search started that maybe the brother had killed his brother and abandoned him and they're looking for Langley and they continue to remove stuff from the home and crowds gathered around the brownstone and stuff was removed. 120 tons of things were taken from this house. Almost three weeks after they found Homer's body, they found Langley. He wasn't out running around. He had died up to 10 months earlier because as he was taking food through one of his tunnels, he triggered one of the booby traps and it killed him, suffocated him to death. And then his brother died of dehydration and starvation because he, couldn't, he was an invalid and blind and couldn't help himself. They died with a lot of wealth, but they died in all that stuff. I think that speaks of what happens spiritually when we allow wealth and influence to take over our lives and we don't heed the dangers and the warnings that James gives about hoarding and hurting innocent people and harming our testimony. God blesses us to be rivers of his blessing, not reservoirs. Ask God this week, am I, are we giving what you gave for us, for me to give? See what God tells you. See if he doesn't change how you give and what you give and open up the reservoir of your life. There are many of you who are rivers and are generous and giving, and God bless you and continue in that pattern. But if God is speaking to your heart about how you're using the resources he's given you, allow God to change that. Maybe you want to wrestle with that a little more. There's a great book by Randy Alcorn that looks at our possessions and money in light of eternity, simply titled Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And I encourage you to get a hold of that book and it can help you further understand what God has blessed you with in light of all eternity and help you find balance in enjoying those blessings while at the same time being a river of his blessing to others. Let me just ask you, are you leveraging your wealth and influence for the good of others and God's glory? That's the call on our lives as the children of God to make a difference here and now and for all eternity in Jesus' name. Our Lord, we know that we're not perfect for this. I know for myself it's easy to dismiss others and think about my own needs. It's easy to get caught up in the luxuries of this life. it's easy to see my stuff as mine and to hold on and help us to find that balance of enjoying the blessings, being good stewards, planning for the future. But at the same time, Lord, may we not hoard stuff. May we not hurt innocent people. May we not harm our testimony. These are the inherent dangers of wealth and influence. Help us to be honest with you in asking that question. Are we giving what you gave us to give? If the answer is no, may we make changes. May we intentionally leverage what you bless us with for the good of others in your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.